Welcome back to the shed, everybody. We're really happy you're here. It's a beautiful day. It's not quite spring, but you can smell it. It's around the corner. It's so close you can taste it. The birds are singing. The flies are hatching. Okay, fine. But no, it's good. We're almost there. We're back in the shed, and we're looking forward to spending time with you this afternoon. We have our usual eclectic assortment of I just don't even know what. So hopefully some of it is going to engage your interest and be informative and fun and here we go. Let's let's find out. You guys want to do listener mail? Yeah, yes, let's do that. More than anything. All right. Archie, I'm dying to hear listener mail. Actually, I am. I love listener mail. Okay, we just have a few today. Just one more follow-up on our interview with uh, Mumalak Kakak from Jesse Meyer. Just a follow-up email. He'd already sent us one, and then he said, In all seriousness, I've spent the last 10 years doing interviews, and you guys did a great job. You asked inter- interesting questions, gave her space to speak, and even challenged her when she needed to be. The world needs more places for honest conversation. When I get the pragmatic party off the ground, you'll be our first interview. <laughs> so we got it right there. I can't wait. Can't wait either. That's kind of him to say all that. I, I think I do think that uh, Lee of Courtney made a good point about you know not being completely dazzled by someone whose celebrity and personality are large. I still I really appreciate Jesse's remarks. Nancy from New Westminster says Mumlak was a very interesting guest. There was so much she talked about and so many comments and questions I have. Anyway, I went to school with a number of indigenous kids as all the land around us was part of the Songhees nation, but they were just kids we went to school with. I knew nothing about their culture and we didn't learn anything in school. I think a lot of stuff I learned in school did not really help me much for living life in the real world. I could have used more life skills for sure. I do believe history was important, but what we learned was skewed in so many ways. Now I can look back and say we need to learn about the atrocities towards people and cultures in the hopes that we don't make the same mistakes again. As someone with a Japanese background, I was mortified to be pointed at as the enemy in high school. After all, the Japanese went through in the 40s and the losses they endured. I certainly didn't need that again in high school. I am the partner of a Métis and Chinese woman. She was adopted and raised in a white family, and her community was predominantly white. She has recently been reunited with a sister, and there are many more relatives to meet. It has been a challenge to be at our age and have to start learning about a people who have been here for way longer than any of us. We are looking forward to hearing stories of the elders and understanding how her people lived and what they have endured, such as residential schools. We also discovered that my partner was a product of the 60s scoop, and finally understand why she was separated from her mother. And finally... I appreciated Mumalak's comments about Peter Julian. He is a wonderful guy, and I had the opportunity to work with him during the last election as his official agent. I must have done a good job because he has asked me to be his OA for the next election as well. Great show, dogs. I will be curious to follow Mumalak's career and see what she does. Yeah, well, I mean, when I think about what she said about the people uh, pointing her out as the enemy in high school, I think about our years in high school in Rossland, 100 percent white almost believe so yeah yeah so so then so that's that's kind of an interesting question when you when you don't have a chance to be to behave in a racist manner then then you kind of get a self-perception that you're all you're all good right yeah you're not Uh, racist yeah. yeah that's well put rj that's exactly right well one of the things i responded to in nancy's note there was the idea of how hard it is at this age 
to be discovering stuff. And I think that's a really common experience. I think a whole bunch of people our age are, you know, whether they've been willfully ignoring or not willfully ignoring, they're waking up to a bunch of knowledge that has been around, but they simply haven't recognized. And it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to recognize that the information that you've based a bunch of your beliefs on has been skewed or not not appropriate or not adequate, you know, and find out there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just omitted from your background knowledge that really matters. Yeah, it's a lot. And I, I think it's a common experience. And Nancy sent us an additional note. We had a couple more notes about our Gone with the Wind coverage. <laughs> uh, Nancy says, hey dogs, I think you should do old movie reviews on a regular basis. I had such a good laugh with Swellen. Gone with the Wind is a great sweeping movie with everything you could ask for. Sex, intrigue, jealousy, love. Pat, do you remember my life-size cutout of Vivian Lee as Scarlet? I left it at work when I retired. Don't know who inherited her, and frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Nice clothes. She She says, please do more. I, I don't actually remember that cutout, but I was thinking if there's anybody I can remember from ICBC who would be likely to have a life-size cutout of Vivian Leah Scarlet, it would be Nancy for sure. Like, I can't imagine anybody who would be more likely to do that. I just don't remember seeing it. All right. So uh, this one's from Leah Courtney, who had already read uh, Nancy's message. She says, before I get into your Gone with the Wind plot overview, and I agree with Nancy, more of these would be great. I have just one more comment. I know what a surprise that I'd have more comments on the (laughs) Mumalak show. You were discussing my unhappiness with her giving out fake information on France and Germany modeling prisons and concentration camps on Canadian residential schools. And PJ said that it is incumbent on anyone, but especially leaders, to be certain of facts before presenting them. And then he said that he had completely not picked up on that when Mumalak said it because I just liked her so much. And that right there is the danger a charismatic leader can present. People who like them, she puts like in quotes, will not call them to task or even question statements. Often they won't even pick up on statements. There's an upside and a downside to charisma. So before I carry on with the Gone with the Wind, uh, PJ, uh, what say you to that? I think she's right. I do think that I kind of just was not maybe listening as objectively as I could or should. Uh, just because I was very excited to have her as a guest on the show and I was enjoying our conversation and I was not, uh, I mean, it may come as a shock to our listening group who've come to respect us as ultimate professionals, but in fact, we're not real journalists and I have never had experience or training in listening carefully and objectively. I've had a ton of training talking to people I like, (laughs) but not very much in being objective about it. So yeah, I, I think she's right. I I do think that if you're going to interview somebody, if you're going to give somebody a forum, you have to be a bit more on your toes with regard to what they say and how they say it. That's all. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like threading the needle though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you could actually question everything. You know, you could go into full RJ mode. And, <laughs> uh, and if you said something that was 95% right, then I'm going to go, okay, yeah, I think you're almost completely correct. The only thing I would differ on, and you go, <laughs> go ahead and talk about the 5%. And the next yeah. thing you know, you have no conversation. So it's kind of a kind yeah. of a thing that you have to be aware of. You can let some statements stand on their own and let the listener make their conclusions as well. So that's a that's one call you can make in some cases. 
Anyway, that's a great comment from Lee. Um, yeah. And then she goes on to say, now, on to Gone with the Wind. Now, Lee had already talked about Gone with the Wind way back in our first un- Unseen Classics segment, which was Dirty Dancing. And we called that a classic, and she took a little bit of a, <laughs> a umbrage with that and said, no, Gone with the Wind is a classic. So that was kind of what teed up this whole uh, segment, I think. She says, now, on to Gone with the Wind. As someone who's read the book and own it and also own the movie and has seen it at least a dozen times, including once in full big screen Technicolor glory at the Fifth Avenue Cinema in Vancouver when the movie was brought back for its 60th anniversary in the 90s. We're only halfway through that sentence. You guys realize that. (laughs) Evidently, that was a classic moment. (laughs) You will understand that I was answering questions, filling in blanks, and offering corrections all the way through RJ's reading of the plot. I was listening while doing a treadmill virtual run in New Zealand. And when you got to Swellin' O'Hara, I was laughing so hard I nearly injured myself. I don't know if we have the right kind of insurance for this podcast, guys. But. <laughs> yeah, we should, maybe we should be reading a disclaimer at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> right. Do not listen to this on yeah. your treadmill. While we assume no responsibility or liability for injuries occurred. This <laughs> new right. to this podcast. Read it super fast. Yes. <laughs> uh, for sure, the movie was from a Southern point of view because it was written by a very Southern woman, Margaret Mitchell, who, like Scarlett, lamented the loss of the old south there is so much that we cringe about in the movie now but it's still a cinematic wonder and very memorable and the fact that it got the three of you to veer into side conversations about racism today north south differences maga etc plus look up stuff like carpetbagger is a testament to it having value in today's world because as scarlet says at the very end of the movie tomorrow is another day Oh, that's so shit. That's nice that she she remembered that we struggled to remember whatever it was. There's the closing line, so she got it. That's she gives us the correct closing. That's right. That's right. Because nice. if if there were a a quiz question, everyone would say it's frankly my de- my dear, I don't give a damn or whatever it is. Well, even that, yeah, even that is frequently misquoted. I think is frankly Scarlet, and it might actually correctly be what Nancy said too, which is frankly, my dear. I, I'm not. Yeah, really it sure. almost certainly is. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's, it's kind of akin to that. Uh, play it again, you know. Yeah, play it again. Sam was never said in the Casablanca. Yeah, there you have a great set of listener mail. Yeah. Yes, and thank you guys. Just you keep that coming. You keep that coming because we just love listener mail. And we've had a lot of it lately, and we're not actually just sated yet. So keep it coming. So we have a lot of material today. PJ, you want to go through the list and decide what we're going to do next? Yes. Why, yes, RJ. (laughs) Why, yes. I have a couple here that are real quick, and they're light and foolish. Let's start with this one here. I went through a stretch about a month ago where I watched a whole pile of just mindless action movies. A lot of Jason Statham you know, things getting blowed up real good. People getting beaten up. One's the kinds of movies where you want to keep a body count, you know, like, geez, how many people are getting, is this guy going to ace like a whole division worth of people here or what? And I got to wondering, is there an optimum number? If you're making a movie where people get blowed up real good, an action movie, and your hero is involved in the deaths of, say, 500 people in hand-to-hand combat, 
you probably don't have a good movie. There's, there's almost no room for plot. You're just killing people and people just turn it off. So clearly that would be too many. If it's an action movie and only three people get killed and you have to wait for the entire movie for the bad guy to get his just desserts or her just desserts, that's going to alienate people too. They, they want to see these bad guys getting served all the way through. So what is the optimum number? Is there an optimum number? I kind of wonder. I, I, feel, I feel no, there's not. And uh, before I get before I give you my reason why, do you remember watching uh, Thunderball? I'm I'm certain it was with you. Uh, I can't remember if anyone else was in the room. And uh, Thunderball came on yeah. TV, and we all decided to count the number of people that died uh, were were killed in it. And it was like yeah. 74 or something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. some. And at the time, it was a large number, but uh, it's definitely been uh, upped. Well. Yeah, and I mean, it's because in the underground cavern, and I think that was Thunderball, where he's in an underground, you know, secret lab cavern. Yeah, and there's a lot of underwater scenes as well. Yeah, and people are dying left, right, and center. You don't even get to see. But interestingly, if you recall the count correctly from Thunderball, when I was watching all these action movies about a month ago, around 70 seemed to be the number associated with the ones that were just the most fun. You know, yeah, he kills a bunch of people, uh, but there's a plot and there's a little bit of humor and some spectacular effects and, and around 70 seems to be about right. Okay. So. Well, I mean, as a counter example, and this, I'd like to hear what you guys th- thought of this movie. Um, have you seen John Wick? I sure have. And he was in that, that little run of action movies. I saw both those movies were. KJ, have you seen John Wick? Nay, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, PJ, you're thinking 70 died in John Wick? I would I can't say remember, three yeah. or four times as many died in John Wick than any other movie. Like, it's just oh. relentless. Well, I would have to double check, but I certain, feel it. Certainly more than Thunderball. I don't know. Because you, you said that, you know, at a certain point, if you have too many deaths, there's no plot left. But yeah. basically, John Wick is, there's a little bit of plot line. There's a plot <laughs> line, but it's just relentless violence yeah. right it never stops it, well it, it'll stop for maybe 60 seconds or two minutes somewhere yeah well he checks his dog into the hotel and then once the dog is safe he goes back to just killing people yeah i just sue and i just love those john wick movies and <laughs> and well, you know, i guess he you, i think you're gonna love him or hate him is that fair or uh, it sounds like yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I think that's, I think if you hate the John Wick movies though, you're going to hate all those action movies because they're all kind of the same, right? Maybe, like, maybe. I don't think John Wick is any the same as pretty well anything else. Oh, I guess I, there's some humor in there, but it's. Yeah, I think it, it's all the same. He's the renegade guy. He's got an enormous number of resources at his disposal in terms of cash and passports and significant cash. It's all arms. cool and fun, but the whole focus of the movie is the violence. Yeah, but and that's the focus with all of them, right? Jason mm-hmm. Statham movies, he's just beating guys okay, up. Okay, well, I don't know Driving Jason cars Statham. real fast, crashing cars. I don't know those ones at all, but uh, yeah. yeah. They're all like that. And They're I just all. want to say... They are. Like you're saying the Bourne movies are all like that. Kind of, yeah. They just go from violent confrontation to violent confrontation. Usually, you know, there's a couple of those deaths you have to infer from the sound of breaking bones when their neck gets twisted. Mm, Right. You know, maybe they're just unconscious. (laughs) You don't have to go for medical certainty when you're doing the body count. Yeah, we had house guests over. Uh, One of them said, let's watch a movie. She chose a... A nice lightweight movie. And I said, well, have you seen John Wick? 
<laughs> yeah. They go, no. Oh, you got to see John Wick. Right? <laughs> and I felt bad. Like she just like didn't have much to say through the whole show. And then she just went to bed and I, you know, so that was not reading the room well at all. And I mean, when you're the, when you're the host, it should be, somebody wants to watch a show, let them watch the show. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Sit through a rom-com. If that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Well, I loves me a good rom-com too. So do I actually, but many do not. And I'll just say, I don't know if I'm recalling this correctly, but one of the early Rambo movies is one of the ones where, oh, come on, you know, (laughs) Like at some point in the movie, he gets behind a 50 caliber machine gun with an evidently unlimited ammunition supply. And he just blows away like a whole army worth of people creeping through the underbrush towards him. It just goes on and on. You couldn't even count it. It must be a couple of hundred people he kills by himself. And you just, you know, they're firing automatic weapons from all angles and distances in front of him. And somehow he never gets hit. He's just blasting away with this thing. Okay. Well, just a real-time follow-up. We have... The original John Wick movie had 91 deaths. How are you finding that out? I just, the Google phrase here that I entered was, how many people does John Wick kill in John Wick? <laughs> Unbelievable. That's, that's gold. That information is just gold. And then here's the kill count for uh, chapter two. The name of this blog is Kill Count. <laughs> so the title is John Wick chapter two, Kill Count. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, despite its title, it doesn't have... There's there's all kinds of stats. Oh, this person takes stats on the number of shots taken and their accuracy. Wow. Um, and shots taken plus accuracy. I, I don't know how to read these stats very well. 65 confirmed kills in John Wick 2. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you hear the neck... Going, <laughs> that might not be confirmed. <laughs> that might not oh, be. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. I just can't believe somebody would do a shot accuracy count. Okay, so here, this, wow. this article from uh, News Hub says the total number of John Wick kills in all three movies is 299. Jesus. Did you say there's three movies? Yeah, 299 wow. killed. So highly recommend those movies to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> If you enjoyed Gone with the Wind, you're sure to love the John Wick franchise. Often the reviews will say it's (laughs) ballet-like. And, you know, like, (laughs) there's a huge amount of comedy, but obviously it's black humor. Yeah, The method in which someone was killed. John, or um, what's his name, the actor? Kinunu. Yep. (laughs) Kinunu Reeves. Apparently he trains for these for, I think six months or 12 months, just, just eight hours a day, like just go, go, go. And, uh, yeah, it's very fun to watch. I just, I think it's funny. He just looks like some surfer guy. Still. He looks like some California surfer guy. He walks like a California surfer guy. He talks like that. He's, I just, I can't believe I'm sure there's Kinunu lovers out there. So I won't go on and on about slagging him, but I think John Wick movies are a really great vehicle for him at this stage of his career. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's just a tool. That's I it. can't help it. He's a tool. We lost the Kanunu <laughs> demographic. And, and I tell you, that's probably like four-fifths of our listeners. Right well, there, right? it could be. I don't know. But if you love Keanu Reeves, I, I think you need to examine your life choices, honestly. Like, he's just, oh, my God. No, I think he's great. 
He's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. awful. Yeah, well, awful in what way, though? Like, what are you he's, looking for? He's wooden. Yes. He's wooden. Yeah, that's he his... has no no kind of delivery on any of his lines, <laughs> regardless of whether he's killing somebody or loving somebody. He's not as wooden as Kevin Costner. Uh, actually, yeah, I think I. he's just <laughs> brutal. He's really bad. I like Again, Jason Statham looks like he should be doing Hamlet. Ne- never mind Canoe doing Winnipeg. <laughs> just, oh my God. Is Jake's Jason Statham is the name of the movie series or the... No, he's actor? an actor and he did the Transporter, I believe it's called, uh, Transporter 2. He is, did... Isn't that Fast and Furious guy? No, or that's, that's somebody no, else. That's somebody else. That's uh, Vin Diesel is in those Fast oh, and Furious. Oh. I've never um, seen those either. Yeah, they're not... They're not my cup of tea, really. And I don't know. The death count in those is probably too low. That's probably why I'm not responding. It just, you know, there's a lot of really not fast. Worth it. Yeah, there's a lot of really fast driving. But hardly any of those cars go off the road and burst into a fireball. Like, what, what, what's the point? I don't understand it. Uh, okay, so then if we're moving along from that, I do th- would love to hear feedback from our listeners about that whole issue of body counts and uh, action movies. I do wonder... Like, I find action movies are just fun. I don't take them seriously. I don't end up with trauma from them. But if you stop and think about it, they you know, they probably are sending a lot of messages that maybe we shouldn't really be endorsing very hard. So I sort of wonder. There's an opportunity for comment there, I think. Anyway, KJ, I want to hear your opinion on Space Sweepers, which you have reportedly recently watched. Uh, well, not recently anymore. I did just think about it when I saw it. But I, I just thought it was kind of fun. And there, it's. Did you watch it? Obviously, you did. I didn't. I watched about half an hour of it, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. There was too many characters, too much stuff, and I I was not able to give it the attention it needed for me to follow. You oh. know what I mean? I lost the plot, literally. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't remember anything uh, much more about it. I just was in, sort of intrigued by all the different uh, languages to start out. And I, I thought, oh, where are they shooting this yeah, little exactly. thing? Because yeah, I thought it was Korean, and I guess it turns out to be Korean. But anyway, I just, uh, uh, you're wondering about, oh, where's the subtitles for the, oh. Oh, oh, there's oh, yeah, subtitles, yeah. Different language, yeah. How do you subtitle this when there's like four? Yeah. <laughs> and we have uh, KJ McNulty does indeed have his own Wikipedia entry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got your bio, your filmography, external links. The filmography goes on and on and on. Holy smokes. How many so kids? KJ, do you? Oh, my God. Look at this. Yeah. Who cares about the kids? Look at these films. <laughs> Like, there's like 300 here. Okay, let's see. Doesn't mention your kids. I think you need to... Uh, ma- yeah, I was yeah, going to you- ask, who's curating that entry? And you could do it, Mo. You now, could say well, a no, bunch of stuff. You're, no, you actually can't. You're not allowed to edit your own Wikipedia. I mean... Oh, damn. so he needs a supportive friend who's at an arm of length, like either you or I, RJ. Yeah. Who for I a guess. sort of a nominal fee will really polish up that Wikipedia page for No, I, I'm interested in this definition of this term that you've used, arm's length. Like, um, But uh, I think the, the other thing is that you usually, I mean, not always, but you usually need some kind of citation, right? So, KJ, all you need to do is send me an article link in which you mention your two kids and that's in the article, and then uh, I'll just go ahead and add that to your page. Do you need me to write the article first? <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, exactly. I'm sure there's an article like <laughs> exactly. that out there. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
You go ahead and write that, PJ. And you see, and then I'll write another article that and says, we'll this guy's the greatest it. actor that North America has ever well, produced. He's right, been in, and yeah, write, you can cite that. Write you know? the article, arm's length, and we'll put it on uh, the Shed Dogs or, or Zoghead blog. Zoghead there blog, yeah. There you go. Make an entry in the long dormant Zoghead <laughs> mental basement. I still quote that thing. It's been six years. Uh, yeah, no, that's fun. I, we we should look into that. We should look into fooling with KJ's professional image. <laughs> I think that would be a worthwhile hobby for us. And in, in terms of things we're watching, I'm, uh, Sue and I are just watching uh, just a blast, a show that's just really fun to watch, which is uh, yet another French show. So this is our second in a row, and we're two for two. It's just fantastic. This one's called, I won't pronounce it correctly, Baltazar. Um, spelled B-L-B-A-L-T-H-A-Z-A-R. So I, I would always say Balthazar when I saw that word. I think it's, and yeah, I won't even try to do the French version, but it's Balthazar. It's about a coroner. Coroner's just very charismatic, has a super high opinion of himself, but you, you like him because of it. And uh, it's a relationship between him and the captain. The police captain's a woman. The, there's so much great humor and character de- development in it. It's not a comedy. It's, I guess, it's, it's called a, you know, a police, police slash coroner procedural. Mm-hmm. Really, really fun to watch. Won't say much more about it than that. Where Available did you find it? At the library. Ah. So when, when Sue finds something that she likes and it's not available, we just put a hold on it in the library. So we have season one right now, six episodes, and we have a hold on season two. We'll get it in a, in a week or so. And that makes me mention, I think most people probably have a favorite site like this, but just in case you don't, as a PSA, justwatch.com. Um, there's a little slash CA for Canada, but I think it will probably figure out you're in Canada and automatically forward you there. But it's justwatch.com slash CA. Key in the name of the series or the movie or the show, and it just tells you where it's streaming and where it's renting. We found that just really great for any time we want to watch something. One more thing about Balthazar, though. Uh, if you no, 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 I hadn't, I had finished, but now I just realized I should mention if you're squeamish at all, you, you're not going to want to watch it because they oh. just go into great detail in the coroner scenes. And I, I love the French sensibility. You know, the, there's a big warning that says, hey, there's medical, what do you call it? Procedures. You, yeah. Medical procedures shown here. So if you're squeamish, don't be be warned. That's it. That's the warning. There's there's plenty of nudity in this show. They don't bother warning about that. So they have, <laughs> they have their priorities completely correct, right? Yeah. Like that's what you should really be worried about is if there's depiction of, in this case, there's not a vo- lot of violence, I would say shown but there's a lot of the body is there um, and they're working on the body the personalities of the coroners the french in this in the in the two french years we've seen the character development is just amazing yeah you get to like or dislike the people and uh just on that note though i don't know if you guys have you guys ever noticed this like when i watch netflix they will have little warnings up there about content warnings smoking and they're, they're hilarious yeah you know Satanism, dismemberment, shocking scenes of slavery and death, smoking. <laughs> you yeah. sort of think, yeah. what the hell? Why is why is smoking on their list of things that they need to like? I just well, in a, in some really ways, funny. in some ways, it makes sense because for certain people, obviously, there's going to be triggers that that they care about. 
Yes, but I mean, I guess then why isn't there ones about, you know, drinking straight out of the bottle or drug use or actually drug use does get on there. Yeah. But, but I'll bet you you alcohol abuse does as well. I Uh, don't recall having seen that one, but I just found it really funny that smoking shows up in the same league as really horrendous things, right? Well, it's funny you would say that because I myself have been kind of not amused by movie makers who lean so heavily on smoking. Oh yeah, no, I don't like it. I'm not saying it bugs me when I see a lot of smoking in a production. So I can see it. I can definitely see why certain people would go, I just don't want my kids to see that. Like the romanticization of it. I guess, but I just kind of think... Like every Aaron Sorkin movie ever made, you know, when the president has a tough time, he's got to go out and have a smoke, right? Think it over. But if you're a parent and you're selecting on smoking, but you're allowing dismemberment and Satanism (laughs) and whatever else, like I'm just thinking, I don't know if I agree with your priorities. I understand wanting to screen smoking from your young impressionable children, but like, I I, I don't know. I just think think the whole thing is pretty funny. Yeah, no. Anyway, those parents might be making the right choice. Because I don't think Satanism tends to be glorified in those shows, does it? I have just no idea. Yeah, maybe they But do. I don't they're think they're necessarily glorifying smoking either. They're showing people smoke. They're normalizing it if it's you want to use that. It's very rare when somebody lights up a smoke in a, a movie and it's not to deal with an emotional situation. It's um, funny because my impression is most of the smokers are the bad guys and the bad guys oh, always yeah. end badly okay. in movies. Okay. You know? yep. Like a lot of the guys that John Wick kills are smokers. <laughs> no doubt. No <laughs> but doubt. he's not. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Maybe they should have a warning that says smokers getting killed. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my latest um, that I'm watching is on Netflix, uh, Vincenzo, the Korean mafia guy which is quite fun. Just throwing that out there. The end. So while we're still on uh, things we watch, uh, have you guys been watching any of these pop pop star documentaries? It's just that there's a whole raft of them now. So it's kind of interesting. Like an early one in this raft was Taylor Swift. I think I watched that about a year ago. There's uh, Britney Spears also just came out. I think you had Bieber on your list. Justin Bieber just came out. Yeah, and then... Yeah. So, I mean, the general theme of all these is how hard it is to be a star, right? And you go, well, come on, you know, like uh, life's great. But on the other hand, these are people who are like 16 years old when this is all happening, right? Like Justin Bieber really hit it big around age 15, 16. Billie Eilish, I think her and her brother wrote some songs and put it out when she's 15 and they, they made it big on YouTube and they recorded the album over the next couple of years. And they had the foresight to actually have cameras around because they, they weren't a mega star yet. But I think they or someone around them must have known. So it's pretty fun to watch. Basically right up to the end, which is like after their mega world tour, after the album comes out, like huge pressures and everything. They're still living in the little family house with the little kind of long rectangular backyard that's full of not junk, but full of stuff, right? So um, rather an enjoyable show to watch, really, unless you feel like it's been advertised too much. <laughs> but but I, think, I think this is a theme right now, though, in general. Like, people are realizing how brutal this can be on an audience or an, on, on a young person. Or in the case of, um, you know, Megan, Megan Markle, like the same thing, like the huge amount of 
pressure there can be from, from press, from paparazzi, from the public can be brutal on your mental health. But surely, or surely, I'll be frankly, um, you're not really suggesting this is new ground, right? I mean, this is this whole business of celebrity as awful has been, it's been done to death since Marilyn Monroe, it's been done to death, right? Like it's constant. Maybe, maybe there's a cyclical aspect to it, like that is the people that are now having their bios done are part, are popular with a certain demographic that has money to spend. I don't know. I think it is. I think, I think you're right. I think it's cyclical. And I think with social media, it's more intense. Could be. Uh, yeah. And I just like, it's not that I disagree and, uh, but I have for, I just know that for decades I've had the same kind of thought like, uh, no, I actually have grave reservations about becoming very famous, which is why of course I've chosen to not do it so far. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like really, we we all learned a long time ago. Careful what you wish for with regard to celebrity, because it it can be really difficult to manage. And you see it in professional sports. Uh, you see it in all kinds of places. And this Meghan Markle thing is just another blast of the same thing, mm, really. Mm-hmm. Like what she didn't know she was gonna be exposed to a whole pile of that. She did. And I mean, I'm not trying to slag her at all. I I I just. At the same time as I don't have any animosity to her at all, unlike <laughs> Pierce Morgan, apparently, uh, I also don't feel terribly sorry for her because she's still going to be rich. She's still going to be well off. She's still going to be looked after for the whole rest of well, her Sue life. Well, Sue and I so. totally enjoyed the uh, two-hour Oprah interview, and we watched additional footage the next morning that was aired on uh, CBS this morning. And, you know, like, you, you do kind of, think, well, that's, that's a whole lot of pressure. But, but at the end of it, my comment to Sue was, you know, I kind of like Megan and Harry, I kind of respect them and everything, but at the end of the day, they're just two people, right? And yeah. you can look at two people who live on the downtown East side and you go, those are two people. They're worth the same in terms of their intrinsic worth to in life. And they have it way, way worse. Yeah. Somebody's got a way better deal than somebody else there, you yeah. know, like Absolutely, I I think that a hundred percent. Especially, honestly, about the royal family. But I'm glad that I'm glad that they came forward because a lot of the stuff that they're talking about is the the firm, the yeah. uh, the institution. They use those words liberally. I thought that was great. I, I haven't seen any of it. I've just yeah. seen comments about it, and yeah, I'm I'm glad they're saying stuff. But again, I think speaking only for myself, it's been a long time since I thought the royal family was a useful institution in any sense other than tourism. Hey, do either of you know if um, Harry will still be responsible for the Invictus Games? Is that a, is that a, a part of the monarchy? Is that part of his own gig? I think it's his own thing. That's what I think too, and it'll be uh, between him and Invictus. Uh, you, I would hope personally that Invictus all embraces him all the more warmly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's had the courage of his convictions here because I, I do think those guys speaking publicly is really valuable i mean it's uh, if you're shocked by what they're saying i don't know where you've been but mm-hmm. i do think saying it publicly is a valuable thing and I'm, I'm glad they did well if we can dovetail a little bit into the crown uh uh just because uh, <laughs> yeah have you guys watched the crown i've only seen season one i totally enjoyed oh. it well, I I am convinced that it's the best thing television has ever produced ever because it's dealing. I mean, it's fictional, but it's all based in fact, and not just based in fact, but we actually have lived the fact of that fact. Like we know a whole bunch 
personally because we we saw the Falklands War happen. You know, we saw Diana. We you know all the weddings and everything. That's that's part of our historical memory of that. And then they and the way they fictionalize it, like the writers are. I just I think they're incredible. Like they put to they weave together stories that you know they're making up dialogue they don't know what happened in the bedroom you know they don't know what they're talking about what the queen thought of this queen thought of that i mean they do generally they have there's uh you know all the tell-all books about you know people who work there and oh well this happened and this happened but i just think it is fantastic television and so you're saying it's plausible all the fill-in is very plausible well yeah but it doesn't matter if it's not because it gives us it gives us the connection. It makes us, I you know, depending on what the producers want to do, it makes us either like somebody. But you know, I didn't, I really didn't know that uh, Charles was stupid Camilla probably on his wedding night with Diana. For all I know, like he, it, that went that went all the way through. For some yeah. reason, I thought that she just reappeared after Diana was gone. But no, not at all. And you mm. just and you uh, it you just sort of get a, a, a the whole Diana thing. Where she says, so and this kind of comes back to Harry and Meghan, is that she took William on their first big Australian tour. She demanded, you know, because you got to remember that Charles and Anne were left when they were like four years old and two years old for five months. Yep. When With the nanny. When Phil and the Queen went on there first for five months. What does that do to a child? You know, so you got to think that William and Harry at least are going to have, you know, that a little bit of that semblance of a mother, you know, a a family uh, that they were loved at least up and, you know, until tragedy strikes or whatever. I'm not quite there yet. So, but Mm -hmm. I, 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 spoiler alert, she dies in a terrible car accident. See, and we already know that. Isn't that fun? Like, and (laughs) so there is no spoiler alert. But who killed her? That's right. But I I just think it, it's uh, I just think it's uh, it's great casting it's, is unbelievable. It's like a historical novel, basically. Yeah, but you but, you do learn about the history, the events. So so yeah. I found in season one, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I was unaware of, like the kind of legal relationship between the prime minister and the the queen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. didn't know anything about that. That's that's quite quite an eye opener. Have you guys seen Succession? Oh, is that yeah. ever good? Well, so that Susan, I'm, I was having the same conversation with Susan yesterday, and she's, she says, well, that's a succession, and that's the Murdoch family, right? Yes, yeah. And, yes, yeah. But the thing is that we don't know uh, publicly, I don't know the history of the Murdoch family like I know the history of the royal family, so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pull, I mean, I've, I've heard it's, she thinks that it's, it's amazing. just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, it's, and it's fun. Um but that's that. That's just that's sort of why I'm saying that I think this is perhaps some of the best television I've ever seen. Oh, I'm gonna have to pick up season two then. Oh, I might have to give it another chance. I I only watched a little bit of the very first episode, and I disliked Philip so much that I just stopped. I just stopped watching. Mm. I just thought it may be very well be accurate, but I'm finding this too painful. Um, well, they don't just so keep Philip Philip as a villain throughout. They they definitely give him some some of his perspective even uh, yeah. again even though it's fiction that that level is fiction but yeah well it's at the very least it's speculative <laughs> maybe true but we don't know yeah uh. okay well that's a uh, 
pretty heavy uh, set of entertainment options there. I don't know about you guys, but my backlog is just getting brutal. Yeah, um, same. I'm I'm busy playing Minecraft for hours and hours, <laughs> and I could be catching up on my Netflix view. Yeah, we we removed three eight dollar packages from Telus. You know, like things like A and E or whatever, and added HBO Crave, and that so we're saves us money. But I mean, once you have HBO, then you have an amazing backlog. <laughs> like you know, people who watched the the Sopranos, which was which was what started this whole golden age of television, they're talking about it still being the best show ever. Like they, I was just listening to someone say that they just went back and watched it a few months ago, and it held up. It was ever bit as good as when they first started. So, uh, so I'm going, yeah. oh darn! I got the Sopranos to add to the list now. That's brutal. Dylan just watched that, and he couldn't believe what a great show it was. Yeah, and the wire. Just couldn't believe it. The Wire's on there. I mean, I loved The Wire. This is fantastic. I just haven't been paying attention. I really have been playing too much Minecraft. <laughs> I, got, I got and watching too much of uh, Musty One videos. Let's go, Musty One. Uh, oh, and I've got a new guy too now. Another fun guy to watch on YouTube, Scotty Kilmer. Scotty Kilmer. Scotty talks a lot like this and he's a he's a lifetime mechanic and he just walks you through good cars, bad cars. He's ostensibly going to teach you a little tricks about how to fix cars, but really what he mostly does is editorialize about the quality of various makes and models. Yeah. It's pretty fun. He knows what he's talking about, but he's got a really oddball presentation. He's got a really high squeaky voice and he, he waves his arms like this, like quite meaninglessly. His, his gestures look if you ever watch it, I'm doing a great impression right now because he just waves him like that all the time that he's talking. And it's really fun. So there you go. What's Musty One? Musty One is the guy who does small engine repairs oh, primarily. Right, right. He's, a Volkswagen, he's a Volkswagen specialist. Yeah. And I but, just watched him pull apart yet another engine just the other day. But he's great. It's just he really does explain how things work. And speaking of how things work, I really must forcefully recommend that you watch that video I sent you the other day on the 100-ton cannon. Yeah, I looked at it's, that. Oh, it's just tremendous. I just, I, I'm going to watch it again just because it's, um, it speaks to mechanical ingenuity and it's also a real fun preview of arms races that occurred a hundred years later with nuclear weapons. It's a very fun and listeners for your reference, I'm sure we'll come up with a link on this on the website, but basically it's a, a video about a hundred ton black powder cannon that was developed by the Italians and placed in Malta. And if you stop and think about it for a minute, the cannon weighs a hundred tons. Okay. Big deal. You know, you takes a lot to move it, but you put it in. Okay. It's a hundred tons, but it fires a one ton shell. How do you lift a one-ton <laughs> shell into a cannon? Each shot requires 450 pounds of black gunpowder. How do you get 450 pounds of anything into the mouth of a muzzle-loading cannon? And boy, you must be pissed off if you miss. <laughs> What's that? Shot. You must be pissed off if you miss the shot. You're aiming for that that uh, <laughs> uh, Austro-Prussian ship coming down the, the thing and... Again, listeners, what is most fascinating about this video to me is the description of the contraptions that were designed and built to load this stupid thing. Like, and it involved the use of a steam engine, 
and a hydraulic reservoir. And by hydraulic, I don't mean hydraulic oil, I mean water placed under pressure by gravity to operate machinery that lifted these one ton shells and these 450 pounds, clean the thing after it fired. It's, I just found the whole thing really fascinating. And at the end, well, I guess it won't go on too much more. I guess the punctuator was, yeah, this thing was never fired in anger. It uh, was just there as a threat. And it just told everybody else, you don't have a gun this big with this kind of range and this kind of power. So don't screw with this part of the world. You know, <laughs> it's just incredible. I, I just love that video. So there. So we've made it to the end of another episode. I can't even remember whether that turned out the way we all thought it was when we started this thing. That's how it is with all these episodes. Hopefully you had some fun because I know we did. And hopefully you'll let us know if you had fun. And you'll let us know even if you didn't. Send us email. Let us know what you think. If there's stuff you like, didn't like, more of, less of, all of it. Just let us know. And meantime, whether you get a hold of us or not, Look forward to that vaccination. Don't phone if it's not your turn. <laughs> but, but do look forward to it because it's coming. Things are going to brighten up. We might have some semblance of normal lives sooner rather than later. So stick with us till then and take care. Bye. Nice.